Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhover. How are you doing this evening, Ben? Oh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. I am psyched and raring to go. Uh, how is this evening finding you, good Sir Ryan? I am ready to talk about this because the, the topic we've got today which uh, it kind of goes hand in hand. So in, in some way, these episodes, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, we'll say it was, <laughs> is kind of running through like how to start the game, how to do stuff, how to build stuff. And now we're about to talk about encounter building on the DM side of things and forms of encounter resolution on the player side of things Mm -hmm. so it's it's a natural progression it's like we planned this out maybe almost i mean you know so far we're like you know four for four for coincidences and uh you know if we keep that going we just might be the luckiest show there is i mean did we take that feat when we created the show we took the lucky feat yeah we can only use it three times a day though yeah well we only record once a day so you know we've got this covered yeah just got to take the long rest in between. Exactly. Uh, but so, so anyways, uh, why wait? Let's jump in. Let's jump into encounter building. And this is such a really, really interesting topic because it is hard. It is, it is very hard to build an encounter that is interesting, that is challenging, that is uh, gripping, um, and doesn't kill your players when you don't intend it to. And of course, this game has dice. Sometimes things go wrong, or sometimes that encounter that was supposed to be super challenging ends up being not so challenging, and your boss <laughs> dies in the first round, and then you're just like, eh, I think I messed up somewhere. So we're just going to kind of try and go through everything, give you some hints, some tips and tricks uh, on encounter building, the things we do. Uh, And to start, let's talk about encounter building from the actual rules. So if you have a copy of the Dungeon Master's Guide, which I, if you DM a game, highly recommend. It's got a ton of great stuff in it. And one of the things it has in it is encounter building rules. Yes. However, they are a little confusing And I don't like them that much. I'm just going to be honest with you. So luckily enough, they came out with a supplement called Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And it has... Perfect book, by the way. Oh, it's an amazing book. And it's got some alternate encounter building rules that I prefer to the ones in the original Dungeon Master Guide. Um, So just to kind of walk you through a little bit in fifth edition, it uses something called a challenge rating. So if you see the term CR, that's, that's a monster challenge rating. And what that kind of means in a broad sense is that a monster of level CR X, let's call it one, two, five, 10, whatever should technically be roughly a match for a group of four of the same level players. And so 
it, so it, just to kind of put in simple terms, I've got a party. Uh, it's got four players in it. They're all level three. So technically, a monster that has a CR rating of three should be a challenge to that party of four players that are level three. Uh, so very simplistic. Uh, it's a great baseline to go off of. There's so many ways you can mess it up. And it's not your fault. It really isn't. No. Um, a lot of times we like to blame the players, but we can't because we're the ones that gave the players all the magic items they have. Uh, so fifth edition rules, so that the challenge rating doesn't really make any sort of provisions for parties with magic items. This is basically straight baseline. Mm-hmm. The party is just leveled their class, no special items or trinkets or anything. And so whenever you start throwing magic items and stuff into the mix, that can start changing up the, the type of combat. And I've found in a lot of ways, the CR system starts breaking down as early as uh, level five. I, I can attest to that because, so in my party, I've got, or in the party that I DM, I've got a paladin and a cleric that both wear heavy armor. And guess what? They don't take damage most of the time. And the balancing and everything that I was working on that, I was going strictly off of the CR until, you know, I've got a bunch of encounters under my belt when I realized, hey, medium challenge is like nothing. Hard challenge, maybe someone gets hit once. Deadly challenge, okay, now we're starting to get somewhere where it's you know, something that where, okay, people are taking hit points. Like there's a need for a healer, maybe. And just getting to the point where you find where you need to kind of adjust that, it's going to take a little bit of time. And while it's a very good starting point, like Ryan was saying, that's baseline. You need to start taking into account different things. You need to be very certain of the different abilities and stuff that your your uh, monsters or or mobs or whatever you want to call them can do as well because sometimes those are key on why they're as challenging as they can be uh the first time that my party attacked drow i totally spaced on the fact that oh their swords were also dipped in poison that that makes a big difference there you know uh, that's more damage going out and everything like that and if i'm not taking that into consideration there's so much more of an easier mob to to actually fight yeah, no, totally. And it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing because as a DM, you have to take these rules and you have to take these baselines, but then you have to know your party because in a lot of ways it's, okay, how, much, how many magic items have you been giving your party? Have you been really generous and they're loaded down to the gills and now you're having to throw a CR 10 against this level five party to challenge them? Or are you a stingy DM and the baseline stuff is, is kind of much closer. So a lot of times it's getting to know your party and parties aren't all made the same. Just, just like you were saying, Ben, some parties may have a lot of tanky characters that don't take a whole lot of damage or that your monsters of those, those similar levels can't hit very often where some parties may be there. One of the campaigns I play in the highest armor class we have is a 15. That's the highest. 
And so you're going to get hit much more often. So it's, it's very much knowing how much damage your party can take or how even how often you're even going to hit them and how much damage they do as a party. Cause some parties don't do as much damage as others. Some you have this, you know, your ranger that's marksman and is just dumping ridiculous amounts of damage into, into your guys. And so you kind of, you got to know your party and then you have to kind of design around that. And you don't want to necessarily design like, okay, I'm going to throw everything that my party is weak against, against them constantly. Yeah. That's no fun. That's no fun, but you need to know that enough so that you can throw stuff against them that will be challenging. Exactly. Um, Something that's, also, you know, to take into consideration is, especially as they get into higher levels, if there's a specific thing that they're constantly doing, that's automatically always winning, that that's making it happen. Um, you know, if they're becoming, you know, heroes of, of, you know, that stories are kind of being passed around or something. If you have a main villain who maybe has heard the story of how they vanquished this, this uh, horde of orcs or, or something like that, a, a common strategy that they have, you can find ways to kind of break that down. So if they're trying to use that again, cause that's their go-to maneuver, you can just stop it right there. Um, it, it's not necessarily that you have something that they're weak against, but you're just looking at their strategies, their things that they're doing at a different way and throwing something else completely different at them too. Yeah. And remember some of your villains are going to be smart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we talked about this. It's playing to the intelligence of what they're fighting. If you throw a pack of goblins or orcs at them, they're not going to necessarily have smart tactics. They're not going to be super strategic. You throw a, a mage or some other very intelligent creatures against them, mm-hmm. you better believe that they're going to be smart. They're going to go for the the weak casters potentially to try and they're going to go for the healer to try and knock them out first so that the party doesn't get healing. And so stuff like that can cause the party who is maybe used to fighting dumber things or things with less tactics to then try and adjust on the fly, which can be really interesting too. Exactly. And I mean, so once you kind of have an idea of what you're going to be, you know, fighting against or the the type of encounter that you're going to have, the next big thing that I think is uh, one of the most important, and I mean, you, you've got it right there in the notes, is actually like, where is this going to be happening? And so here's a little story of my DM progression as I've, you know, gone through the, the years or whatever. Uh, a lot of my fights were basically, hey, this is a flat plane, and then you're all fighting each other. And then I started, you know, realizing, hey, this doesn't make sense. You know, there's going to be things populated, whether it's furniture or um, if we're in a cave, there's going to be rocky outcroppings and stuff. I mean, just look at the rogue specifically. One of their bonus actions is to hide. If there's nothing for them to hide around, you're kind of putting them at a disadvantage, plus making it, you know, just a very boring battlefield. So, you know, throw in the little bits here and there, little things and stuff like that. Make it, a, and I, I seem to keep going back to this over and over again when we talk about things, but make it a lived in uh, environment. You know, whether if you're fighting like in the forest, make sure there's trees. 
you know, it, something simple as that, or maybe some, some big bushes you can hide behind or, or, or take cover behind or something. Um, if you're out in, in grasslands, great. If there isn't anything there, there isn't anything there. But make it make sense for the environment that you're actually in. Exactly. It's just designing for the situation. And like you said, I, I love that you mentioned lived in because if things appear to be as they would in say the real world, it's more believable for the characters. So if they walk into a house and a battle takes place in a house, there's probably going to be furniture. There's probably going to be multiple mm-hmm. doorways. There's going to be walls that will block line of sight. There might be uh, rubble on the ground. There might be stairs up to a second level. Um, instead of we're in a house, here's the flat little square playing field and here's the dudes and here's the other dudes mm-hmm. now just, just bash each other. Yeah. It's, and not so, a, yeah. it's not like an old school final fantasy game where the, they're on one side, you're on the other side. Exactly. And so that kind of stuff draws people in to the world itself. And if you're, kind of curious or if you are lacking in man what what kind of monsters would be good for for this kind of situation uh one of the things i love and i i will plug this all the time i love dnd beyond Mm -hmm. i do i use it all the time uh one of the best things about it is it has just fantastic filters for stuff so you can go on the site you can jump into the monsters tab and i can filter for locations or I can filter by monster type. Mm -hmm. And so then, and then I can sort by CR and it's really cool because then it's just like, whoop, and it's, oh, that guy looks interesting. I don't know what it is. Click. Oh, those are some cool abilities. I'll use him. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so you find all sorts of cool stuff like that and you don't have to, you don't have to kind of resort to generics. Exactly. That makes sense. And I mean, that's one of the neat things about having all, you know, tons of different environments, whether it's, you know, again, just in the city, out in the forest somewhere, like in the underdark, different elemental planes, you know, the Feywild, there, there's so much out there in terms of diversity of, of monster type and everything that being able to really kind of dig in and find some things that, you know, people might not necessarily have seen before. And you can really like, change the entire experience of a fight because i mean nine times out of ten everybody's seen an orc or knows what one is and you know it is under the idea of oh it's a big brute it's probably going to attack me or something maybe it's shamanistic and has magic or something um it, i mean there, there's so much diversity sometimes in within those like classes themselves like all the dragon types they all do different things you know based on either, whether they're chromatic or metallic uh, you know, what color they're actually, they actually are and everything in, in different things like that matter. But even more so, those types of dragons, you know, like let's say blue dragons specifically, they have a specific kind of area where they tend to live, you know, where they tend to congregate. Uh, orcs, you might be able to find them in a bunch of different environments. Drow, most likely in the Underdark, you know, it, depending on where you go, there's plenty for you to fill your encounters with at that point. I mean, if you're tired of running just the same gamut of, of, of monsters, just go to D&D Beyond or check out the one of the monster manuals or something. Just, you know, flip through it and find something that, that actually works. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think uh, that kind of brings us to an, our next really important topic for encounter building is not just the right type of monsters, but the right 
number of monsters. Mm -hmm. And so generally, and we've talked about this before, there's this concept called action economy. An action economy is how many times will the monsters and the players get to act per six second combat round. So let's say I have a group of four level three players. Well, their action economy is four actions and then potentially uh, a bonus action or two thrown mm-hmm. in there. They don't have their extra attacks and their extra feats yet, um, but they may get to attack, you know, four to six times, right? Um, and then on the other side, you've got this uh, CR3 monster, just one. And so its action economy is one. And so you have to take this into account. So you've got this big, bad monster. It's got some, some HP. It's got some decent attacks. It can hit the party one time for every four to six times that they have a chance to hit it. Mm-hmm. Statistically, that thing is going to lose most of the time. <laughs> Very fast. And so you have to, in a lot of ways, if you are struggling with encounter building or struggling to challenge your party, adding some extra monsters, even if they're very weak monsters, CR one fourth, CR, you know, one half, CR one for a party of level three or four, you add a few of those and all of a sudden things become different because now the action economy is balanced and your monsters are attacking just as much as the party is attacking, which makes things uh, a lot more difficult for the party. And it's the same type of thing for say a big boss fight. Cause we all know it's like dragon, for example, mm-hmm. or, or something, something big and strong, like this big giant um, against this, party of four that is similar level, maybe a level or two below the CR one big monster, even with as many hit points and as much attack as it has is still going to be at a massive disadvantage to a party just because of how many times the party can hit it. And so you have to, a lot of times when people ask me like how I design boss battles and stuff like that, I would say, you know, most big monsters are not going to be alone. Mm -hmm. Most big monsters are going to have minions of some sort. And so a lot of times it's really good if you're doing, say, a dragon fight or something like that. They probably have some minions with them. And not only that, it evens the odds a little bit because I've seen a party of even a few levels below the CR of a a young dragon or an adult dragon take down the dragon in like two rounds Mm -hmm. just action economy oh yeah and, how, and that can level out a little bit some of the some of the higher level monsters have something called legendary actions and this allows them to attack out of turn and kind of helps balance their action economy if you're doing one big thing uh but in a lot of ways the players will still have that advantage yeah and on top of that too some of those big monsters once they get higher up there if you're fighting in their layer there's layer actions as well which kind of helps balance it out a little bit more um that would be something like uh for a black dragon uh, you know if there's like acid pools or something like that they'll bubble up creating you know like a i don't know uh, a bunch of like 
clouds of bugs or something like that. I mean, there, there's different things based on what, what the uh, actual monster is. In fact, the beholder fight that I did, that's a little weird because there's three different things that can happen. And like having a random eye stock pop out of a wall to just, you know, fire a ray at someone as much fun as it is. It's still another action I get. So really enjoyed that one actually. Oh but, yeah. But that's yeah, a, that sounds like a fun fight. Oh, I, you know what? If they didn't have a, a paladin that gave a plus four to saving rolls for everybody who was around the paladin, I would have had a lot more fun. They were rolling really well. And uh, barely get anything. That's the worst. Yeah. In fact, Roe was pretty much darn party. Was getting hit, and I felt bad because I did. I ran the game in his honor specifically. <laughs> oh, poor guy. But um. You see, the, the thing is, though, that this is the, the hardest thing for me to, you know, get right when I'm setting up balancing issues and everything like that. Because even if you have, like, a, you know, a decently challenging monster, if you still throw a whole ton of little ones in there and they die in one round and are not effective at all, then that's almost essentially having the same thing as just that one monster itself. Especially once you get into, uh, you know, like, higher-level AoE spells and things like that. Like, one fireball can take out a whole entire group of goblins if you know they roll well enough which mm-hmm. not that hard when the goblins have like maybe 10 health you know but uh, being able to to kind of balance and you know worse comes to worse over tune it a little bit and then adjust it on the fly if something like you know desperate happens that you don't really intend to like if you're rolling super well and just like nearly one shotting everybody um maybe start looking at what you can do to to balance that on the fly a little bit but i mean really it comes down to try to create something that you think is as challenging as you know it should be and then maybe bump it up a tiny little bit more yeah, that's that's really good advice. Uh, a lot of times, um, one of the things I like to do is kind of you, you throw testing counters at the party, uh, especially when you're just starting your game fresh uh, as a new DM or a new campaign. Start throwing some test encounters at the party, see what they excel at, see where their where their weaknesses lie, and then you can kind of tailor some stuff around. Like if they have a lot of range people and they're killing all your melee dudes before they get to them, throw in some encounters with a mix of melee and ranged. If you have you're up against a super high armor party, throw in a caster or two, make them do some saving throws. There's there's a lot of ways that you as a DM can adjust things or throw in different types of monsters to keep combat interesting because like we said we don't want to just like you're weak against this where i'm just gonna throw this type of thing that you're weak against or not good against at you but if you don't make combat interesting your players will get bored yeah and and that's the worst thing (laughs) and one of the neat things is is you know some groups organically form into being incredibly well-balanced groups, you know, like a a magic user or two, a good tanky melee person, a ranged person. And balancing for that means that you just need to have a good balanced group going up against them as well. You know, I just threw the word balance in like five times in two sentences, but that that's how important it actually is. You know, um, have a, a foil for one or two of them, you know, tied into one monster and something else that can really take down something, you know, another one. And 
just as, as another story, um, I had someone who decided that they were going to play a Warforge. They had an armor of 21. You know, for the level that we were going, there's not going to be a ton that's going to be able to get through that. I found uh, some hags that, you know what, they throw out magic missile. That's an automatic hit. Might not be a ton of damage, but it's something. You know, again, seeing those different abilities and stuff can potentially turn something that you think won't really work well in encounter to one of the most overpowered monsters that's actually there. Exactly. And um, we don't have to limit it to just monsters too. And you kind of alluded to it. There's some monsters that have the layers which give additional things, but you as a DM can also add some really interesting things to the battlefield itself. Um, and that is something you have to kind of gauge into the difficulty as well. So you, they may be fighting one or two monsters of the same CR as is their level, but you may be fighting on a bridge over a lava pool, which all of a sudden, boom, that just ratchets up the danger. Uh, you may be fighting uh, on, I don't know, a, a, a flooding plane that is adding some form of uh, damage or some form of, oh no, the terrain is starting to get uh, difficult and yeah. all of our movement speed is slowed and this monster we're fighting is not affected by that type of thing. Right. You might be in a, yeah, you might be, it might be quicksand. You might be in a dungeon with, with traps that, especially if you're playing on a grid, uh, you can do some really interesting stuff like, oh, they, if they step on this certain tile, a trap activates. Mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of really, really interesting things you can do. Um, I know I talked about this a little bit uh, at the end of one of the episodes, but uh, one of the things I did in one of my games was this gauntlet where they're in this arena and I actually had an actual hourglass and it was time and had a five minute sand timer, give or take. And I turned it over and every time it ran out, uh, one of these four statues in these four quadrants of the arena would blow fire out and each one of the four did it. And then the next time two did it. And then the other two, and then all four started doing it and then all four continued doing it, but the damage increased. And so there's all sorts of really interesting ways that you can kind of use terrain, use the, the location you're at on the top of a cliffside is far more deadly or potentially perilous than a field. Oh, most something that. like that. And so there's all sorts of things you can do to kind of increase the tension or increase the difficulty without adding just monsters. Yeah, and now suddenly I just really want to have ship combat where they're, you know, either taking over another ship or something like that and cannonballs are randomly flying across and... Oh, that sounds so fun. I, they're nowhere near getting on a ship anytime soon, but it's like, okay, I'm going to put that in my head for later. What can I do to get my players onto a ship? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it, being able to, to plan all that stuff out and everything is it, it, it's some of the bread and butter of what makes DMing a lot of fun and you know putting in surprises you know I, I'm not talking about like like on Mario Maker levels where you take a step and then a thwomp just drops down and kills you we're, we're talking about you know making it fun and interesting not just complete death trap but 
having different surprises here and there and stuff. I mean, if it's something that calls for it is just absolutely amazing and great and just adds so much more depth into the environment that they're actually, you know, hanging out and and having fun in. And that's why DMing is so fun because I get to play everything and those poor players are stuck just playing their single character. Exactly. Keep that in mind that you get to be everything, Mr. or Mrs. DM. Yep. You guys, you guys have it good. Uh, and speaking of playing everything, well, this is, this is kind of a, Oh, go ahead. Actually, uh, I was going to hop into one other thing to keep in mind too, is that uh, one more thing encounters, uh, sometimes combat encounters and everything, they can totally happen spontaneously as well. So, you might not have the time to go in and, you know, for lack of a better description, you know, place every single glass on the bar in inside the tavern or, um, you know, figure out where all the traps are and everything like that. But even if it's spontaneous, you can still have something, you know, a, a quick description of where you are and what's going on and give the environment, you know, some, some rich life to it as well. So just, you know, kind of be prepared in case something happens. I mean, if you're in murder hobos, you should be prepared for them to get in fights all the time. But, uh, you know, just keep in mind where they are, potentials of stuff that could be around, and then just populate it when, uh, you know, they, you make them roll initiative. Exactly. And to kind of go along with that, be descriptive. When you're entering these combat scenarios, try and paint the picture of, the, the surrounding scene, what's going on, uh, potentially uh, the, the emotional state of the monsters. Is the, the big bad evil guy standing, floating, his cape flying back in the, in the breeze as he hovers above with this maniacal look on his face, his cold stare, piercing soul and flesh? Maybe. Or maybe it's a dumb hill giant who's just standing there and he heard you and he's just like, I'm hungry. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like that talk about the mood. If something shifts in a certain way, depending on, on the, the encounter boss or monster or whatever it is, not every single one of them is going to stand there and fight to the death. There's going to be, you know, mobs, monsters, whatever. They're going to try to, you know, get out of Dodge because they know that their time is coming. You know, they know how badly they're hurt. They know they, they have a grander scheme or something else that needs to happen. And it's not going to happen if they're dead. So, yeah. Especially with the, your smarter uh, monsters or villains. Oh, yeah. I mean, a, a group of orcs who are in there, you know, bloodthirsty and everything. Yeah, they're, they'll fight to the death. But a mage who is hell-bent on world domination, you better bet he's got a couple plans to get out of there. Yeah, and that's something as a DM to think about before the encounter starts. Okay, I'm going to throw these things at them. If these things start losing, what are they going to do? Are they just going to stand there and fight? Are they going to try and run? Are they going to try and use innocence for to their advantage uh, and use them as shields? Or yeah, are they going to give up and surrender? Yeah. That's that's totally a, a really interesting thing too. Um, and so before we get into that, because that uh, is kind of a good seg- segue into our next topic, um, I did want to cover, so what can you do if you can't find just the right monster? 
mm. for, for your scenario. Um, one of the best things you can do, and it's super easy, is called reskinning. So, yeah. so you say, man, I don't have, I, I got this encounter in this weird extra planar swamp. And I'm not finding any, anything that in my mind's eye would fit this place. So one of the things you can do is you can go find an existing monster that has some interesting abilities and then you reskin it. You basically take that entire stat block and then you just describe the monster to the players as something completely different. This is like some glowing entity that seems to solidify and kind of blink out of existence. It's got this diamond-like skin, but I'm using the stats of an earth elemental. Mm -hmm. And so as it's making attacks or as it's doing something, maybe I tweak a little bit of the wording to make it sound more correct or more in line with what I've described to the players, but I'm using the stats of an earth elemental. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's just, boom. I just made an incredibly unique encounter Unless someone like completely recognizes the attacks and stuff, no one's going to know what that is. And you've just created something special for your players. Yeah. And honestly, even if they knew what kind of attacks are, how many monsters are out there that have a bash attack or a bite attack or a slash attack or something like that? I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, Everything that the the players see is going to be through your eyes. And if you see some sort of diamond skin monstrosity as opposed to an earth elemental, that's what they're going to see. You know, instead of saying, oh, you know, this rocky earth elemental walks up. Oh, whoops. I mean, it's a diamond fiend. You know, it just, yeah, you know, pay attention. You're, yeah, you're exactly. Um, one of the other things you can do in encounters besides reskinning uh, for a little bit of variety is um, slight modifications. And so these are actually in the rules as written, uh, you can do, you don't have to take the base HP of the monster. It's variable. So you've actually got a range of health that you can make your monster based on the actual rules. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll actually have, say I had throw a thing of goblins at them or maybe a few ogres attack uh, a higher level party or something like that. Uh, you take that variability and then each one of them is not necessarily cookie cutter or someone who knows the monster manual super well is just like, all right, guys, these are ogres. They have 96 HP. So start <laughs> counting down because we're going to get them all. No, it it adds variety a little bit to, to what the, the monsters can do and add some variability, especially if you have someone who is like that and knows everything to a T. Oh yeah. In fact, that's actually what I do with all of my, my mobs, every single one. I always roll out health because I mean, in the monster manual, it's, it has, here's kind of the average and then, or, you know, 46 plus 12 or something like that. And I, I find it, it's interesting because it, it's going to make it so that people aren't going to just start counting out and, and figuring out and everything. Plus, it's kind of interesting to see, oh, well, this one's super weak versus this one who's actually kind of strong and everything. If they kill the super weak one in one attack, and then they think, oh, everything is just a pushover, and then realize, oh, it's not. It 
it kind of gives a little bit, you know, a, a tiny little surprise as to what the combat's actually going to be like. And I find that interesting because, I mean, on my end, I don't know if an attack is going to instantly kill something or not because everything's variable based on what they're going to be actually attacking. Exactly. Um, one of the other things, and you kind of mentioned this too, and I wanted to go over a little, little bit before we moved on, is adjusting encounters on the fly. Mm-hmm. And this is very, very important as a DM because there are times when an encounter is much easier than you intended it to be. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it is good to throw encounters at the players that they can overcome easily, especially as a way to show that they have gained more power. Mm -hmm. And that battle against goblins that was really hard for them at second level. Now at fourth level, they're just rolling, rolling right over it. And a lot of times that can be a great way to show players, look how much power you've actually gained. Look how much better you are. Uh, but sometimes you throw something at players and it ends up being much harder than you were intending it to be. Now, this is, this is only for those situations. Sometimes you throw stuff at them and you intend for something to be very hard. Yes. And that's, yeah, that's a different story. But if I throw something at them and I intend for it to be, you know, a little bit of a challenge and it starts like getting, starts knocking them out and getting several of them to the point of death or something like that. Ooh, man, that's on me. Oh, I as a DM did not plan that encounter very well. So there's a lot of really cool role play in game type ways that you can use to tone down an encounter. Uh, Just for some examples, and Ben, I'm sure you've got some examples too. Um, Say uh, a character that's got a lot of armor. My players are having trouble hitting it. I, they're just, rolling low and it's really hurting them a lot. And this wasn't supposed to be as hard. Some of their, some of the attacks that hit, they may get a crit or they may do a certain amount of damage. And I say, Oh my goodness. uh, You just cracked his armor. You just cracked his hide. You just, you just like slashed into his, his scales. It looks like he's weakened. And all of a sudden I as DM drop that monster's AC by two. Exactly. Um, I had one uh, encounter with uh, in one of, in my campaign early levels with a creature called a spectator, and a spectator is kind of like a low level version of a beholder. It's Ooh. got like the four eye stalks, and it's mm-hmm. got the main central eye, and it was turning out. It just the way things rolled and the way things went, it turned into a much harder encounter than I intended it to be. Three of the four party members are down. Oh. And this is session three. And I'm just like, holy crap. I did not intend for this. And so the ranger rolls again. And he's getting down to like under half hit, uh, hit points. Maybe he had a third hit points left. The ranger shoots and he hits and he does a decent amount of damage. And I said, your shot straight into his middle eye and blinds him. And so now he's kind of flailing around. And so then the ranger 
started thinking tactically and started hiding behind things. And the monster didn't know where it, where it was. And so it's the monster's attacks became disavenged because its main eye was gone. And so it was a great way for me to give him something cool and tone down the encounter a little bit because it ended up being much stronger than I intended it to be. Exactly. And if you're using like, uh, you know, multiple mobs, multiple monsters, everything like that, again, depending on what they have, you can totally RP something out. You know, if you're fighting against a a bunch of just, you know, like, like brigands or, or, uh, you know, bandits on the highway or something. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a rough fight, but then their numbers start dwindling a little bit. Let's say you have five bandits to start with two of them go down. The other three are like, Oh, we've lost, you know, give up, you know, do something like that. It it doesn't have to play through completely to the very end where, you know, everybody's dead at the end. Um, It's one of those things where I'm trying to kind of, and this may sound really weird, but I'm also kind of trying to like kind of train my party to know that, Hey, if the monsters or the mobs or whatever, they try to run away or they try to escape and everything, there's an equivalency there. So they can too. And that's one thing where I think a lot of parties don't really get is that if they're being overwhelmed or anything, if there's a chance to get out of there, they can totally try that. And just having that doorway open or showing him in advance, Hey, the monsters are doing this too. It, it, it puts something in the back of their head of if I get into a situation where this isn't going to work, where things are just completely tail up, maybe I can run. Yeah, and exactly. It, it just opens doorways for the future. And when that happens, then they can start looking at things like, okay, well, how are they going to feel, you know, RP wise, we ran away from that. We should have been able to, to defeat them. What's going on? You know, do we need to be stronger before we come back here? And it, you know, those types of things just open up so many more doorways to how an adventure can be played from that point forward. You know, is it the big bad? Does the big bad actually win? How does that change the world? You know, is, was there a plan they're trying to do or are they going to be those heroes who, you know what, at least we tried and they're dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's okay. And you as a DM know your players mm-hmm. and you know, you know how long you've been playing. Um, and sometimes as a DM, you do that kind of thing on purpose. Now, let me preface that. If you do something like that on purpose, you need to make sure that you give your party the idea and the notice that this looks deadly or this may be deadly or he looks really strong or this could be very dangerous. Use language kind of like that to kind of hint at things. You don't necessarily have to be like, this dude's way higher level than you guys. So watch out or be careful or you're going to need to run. But sometimes it's really good. Hey, big bad evil guy appears early puts on a display of his power and party needs to retreat. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing to do as long as you make sure to telegraph that beforehand. So you're not just throwing some crazy dude at them and they have, which they have no hope against and without any sort of warning. Yeah. Like the, 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 big thing that comes to mind and this is this is going to be critical role uh, campaign one spoilers so 
jump ahead two minutes or something if you don't want that. But hold on, I got okay. Someone's plugging the ears. Um, but basically, when Thordak shows up and just starts wrecking all over Amon, and the party's like, "Okay, are we going to fight? Are we going to run?" And then they decide to run. Totally the right choice. If they had decided to start and fight right there, they would have been dead. Just hands down. That that's the end of them. Yeah, but so, Matt did a good job telegraphing exactly the, the enormity of the situation. Exactly, and that's one of the, the 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 biggest examples that I can see. Just because you know it's the right thing to do, and holy crap, it was very evident when someone was saying, "Hey, we should stay and do this." No, <laughs> everyone else just like, "Yep, bye, yeah. bye bye." Good stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a great segue into our player perspective. We, we kind of, we've talked about um, different types of encounters. Now as a player character, how do I deal with an encounter? Well, you can fight. We kind of talked through that. Uh, you can run. <laughs> we, we've kind of talked through that well, as well. <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's other interesting ways that combat can be, or not even not combat encounters mm-hmm. can be resolved. And as long, and if you have a good DM, then they will allow you to do the different, they will allow other ways of resolving encounters. If the party comes up with something interesting. Exactly. So one of, one of like the, the best things, uh, one of the best examples of that is just, role-playing your way out of it. Uh, one, of the, one of the sessions I was in just a few weeks ago, we went up to this keep and this guard walked out and the freaking bard goes up and just BSs <laughs> his way. Sir, I'm lost in the woods. I don't know where to go. Just, you know, all sorts of stuff. And ends up just getting getting off scot free be with some with some good role play and some decent persuasion <laughs> persuasion roles but that was an encounter the dm had potentially thought was going to be combat but because of smart play on the players parts turned into something that was resolved with uh role play instead oh yeah and First of all, if you're a bard, always look for a role-play solution because that is where your strength is. I mean, that, that's one of the greatest aspects of a bard. Uh, even in the middle of combat, uh, we had an encounter going on and the bard just cast Charm Person on you know, two of the guards who were going to be you know, going up against them and was successful on both. And it totally changed the tide of everything. I mean, granted, there is still combat involved, but that's two less opponents. You know, it, it makes a big difference. And that's where, you know, just little simple things that, you know, y- your class is able to do, whether it's a spell or uh, just anything, really. It, you can completely change either the tide of combat or completely stop it in the first place. I mean, I don't know how many times people, you know, put stuff in their equipment and just completely forget about it forever. 
it's like uh, one of the fun things is uh, like ball bearings, you know? It, yes. The, the, the things that, that like rogues get and everything. Ball bearings are you can be used for a ton of different things, whether it's, Hey, as we walk into this room, I'm dropping ball bearings. Boom. Difficult train right there. You know, you might have somebody come in and just trip on it right away. Um, you can drop one into a well to find out how, <laughs> how deep it is. Um, that's just two uses right there. And distraction. I'm, yeah, exactly. I just, I, I throw a ball bearing. We roll stealth. We roll good. All of a sudden I have just completely avoided this encounter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Sorry, DM. <laughs> Yeah, I had, uh, again, another uh, uh, game that I DM'd. I had a rogue who, for the first two or three things of combat, never pulled a weapon. He used a rope and basically it was able to, to choke something so that they couldn't form the words to cast spells and kind of held on to them the whole time so that you know they were completely incapacitated. It was amazing. And, I mean... It, it, if it was not a one shot, I would probably put a little bit more limits on it, but I'm like, Hey, this is cool. This is very creative. I am totally going with this and reward creativity. Yes. I mean, at, at least if your DMs open to it, because there are DMs, you, yes. they will basically roadblock almost every sort of creative thing you can pull, which I mean, it's in their right to do, but you have to find the right DM who, I mean, the one who will definitely say, okay, you know, it like the yes, yes and best out there because you could try anything, yep. you know, even if it's a, a, an insanely crazy plan, you can try it. Who knows what's going to happen with it? If you roll really well, sure, it might succeed. If you roll even kind of well, you might fail miserably. But that's where some of the fun in D&D is, is your successes and your failures because so many different things come from it. So being creative with how you go about things is amazing. Like, yeah. And that's where some of the best stories come from mm-hmm. is from those absolutely ridiculous plans, whether they succeed or fail in a lot of ways. Um, you talked about equipment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's such a, that's such a great thing because it is true. So many people just either don't get like the, the extra equipment or, completely forget about something until the situation arises and they're like, Oh yeah, let me look in my, Oh yeah, I got a rope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use, I use my rope. Uh, like you said, things like ball bearings, torches, mm. uh, peons, oh, yeah. crowbar. uh, just there's all sorts of stuff like that. Um, that you could potentially use to either avoid or counteract or aid in an encounter that may not be combat related. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people think forget about too, if you drink a potion, you've still got a bottle. Bottles are used for a lot of things. I mean, just play Zelda. True. They do a lot of stuff. I, I mean, think about all that you can, to, can do with that, you know, make a floor slippery because you, you filled it up with water. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's just one of those things where, the versatility of the stuff that you have or just creative uses on how you can use some of that stuff is great. You know, this is where some of those magical items come in that can really be a huge game changer. Like if you're trying to stealth into something, what if you have a bottle of everlasting smoke or whatever it's called, where, you know, you pop it off and just smoke fills out or fills the room. Um, An immovable rod, which is just a fun favorite that has a zillion different uses for it. If you're creative enough. 
Yeah, I had a party collapse a, a, a big rock over a cave entrance that stuff was chasing them out of. And there was, there was a big dude who probably could have broken through or moved the rock, but they took out their immovable rod and put it in front of the rock <laughs> and he couldn't move it. Yeah, what is it, 8,000 pounds of force? It's, it's a lot. It was far more than, than the rock would have been. Yeah. And so I was just like, that is a super creative way to resolve this encounter. And there was no combat. And I lost an entire plan of encountering these monsters, but you know, I didn't care because that was kind of cool. And they had a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a player, now it it shouldn't be your goal to break the encounter. That's not what we're talking about. Ending the encounter is what we're talking about. And going through and being able to, I don't know, hide so that you get a surprise round. It, It could be something that simple. Uh, versus sneaking your way completely past something. I mean, there's, you know, thousands of different scenarios in Dungeons and Dragons that you could just take, flip on its side and do something entirely different than, you know, just, just straight up pure combat. One of my favorite things to do as a player is use cantrips. Mm-hmm. And this is something that it, so many times that they're so underused it's like cantrips a lot of the cantrips do have limited use in combat but they have so much use in role play type scenarios things like prestidigitation oh, things yeah. like minor image minor image i feel personally is one of the strongest like early level spells period because there's so much stuff that you can do with it you can make images you can make noise uh one time to distract a guard i used minor images and made noises of screaming coming from behind him so we could sneak by and that's a cantrip yeah and so, you gotta you gotta read the things think come up with creative uses for those type of things because there's so many interesting things you can do with what might be considered a throwaway type spell yeah thaumaturgy is another one like that make a boom come from you know down the hall or change the colors of of uh you know candlelight or something like that you know like use it to scare someone you know get them out of a room you know do whatever you can um in fact this is i thought an absolute brilliant move that happened in the game i was in um we we were in a meeting and we thought that people were trying to listen in so the the cleric was used thaumaturgy to make it sound like people were talking and laughing and, and, you know, basically like kind of think party chat inside to mask what was actually being said. You know, it, 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 it's a creative use of it that totally worked and, you know, fooled anybody who was listening outside. They couldn't hear in what was going on. Yeah. That's super, super cool. I, I really love it when players come up with that kind of stuff as a DM, that that's the kind of stuff that makes me super happy, yep. occasionally frustrated, but usually super happy. Um, so as a player, just think creatively. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to hit something or stab something or slash something to resolve it. So just, throwing this out there as a dm we kind of talked about magical items um i 
for the most part, giving my players, like, not magical weapons, but just magical items that do cool stuff. Like, my warlock has an alchemy jug because, you know, it, it's a fun thing. It, it, it's something that's cool. He can make mayonnaise or water or, you know, whatever. Um, I think one of them has a ring of water walking. We're not on an ocean or anything like that, but, hey, guess what? At some point, someone can walk on water. Who knows what they're going to use it for? You know, just scattering little bits of that can make some of these weird things happen, which, again, it, it's what I delight, delight in the most. Exactly. I, I've given my, I gave my party last session uh, that I DM'd an item called a Professor Orb. And it's, this is an actual legit item. Okay. And I, I homebrewed it a little bit to kind of to tweak it around a little bit. But in essence, it's basically this orb that talks to you and knows a bunch about a narrow section of subjects and they can, you can ask the orb questions. So my orb is basically Jeeves. Nice. And he knows these specific things. Uh, and I, I, I modified it and homebrewed it a little bit, but it was powering the core of this armor golem that they ended up defeating. <laughs> and it so happens the barbarian, for the, the final hit, ended up plunging his hand in, pulling the orb out. And once the power source was taken out, you start rolling for the, the golem to see how much longer it lasts without its power source. And that DC gets higher and higher and harder and harder for the golem to hit mm-hmm. every turn. So it ended up being a super interesting fight. And it, it's a great way for me to now pass along lore to the players if they ask the right questions. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That's like really, really cool, actually. So I'm really excited to use it because I got it at the end of the last session and they didn't use it very, very much. But I'm, I'm super excited to see where it can go. But that kind of stuff uh, as a DM uh, can be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It will just to throw one thing that one of my players has out there. He has um, how was it? A, a ring of mind shielding. I, I forget the exact word of it or the wording of it. That sounds about right. Um, here's the thing. I I haven't fully decided if there's a soul in there yet or not. It hasn't talked to him yet, but there might be one in there, and he's never tried to to figure it out if there is or not. So I'm I'm still I'm waffling back and forth. Just because I haven't created the persona of what it would or, or of who it would be and why they're in there, but I, I know, like basically, okay, if this is going to happen, this is the skeleton of it. I need to flush it out. So we'll see what happens. I love it. I love it. Um, we would love to hear from you guys. Yes, send us cool stories of encounters that you creatively avoided or creatively uh, succeeded in or creatively failed in those type of stories are super fun uh, and we'd love to hear them. So jumping over to our community content section and today's is kind of goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about with encounters. I wanted to shout out two things. Uh, First Kobold fight club. And it's kobold.club. And this is a great web to jump onto. And it uses the math from the Dungeon Master's Guide to allow you to plan encounters based on what your party is and what kind of monsters you want to throw in there. And it tells you, 
based on that math, if it's easy, moderate, high, or, or deadly mm-hmm. of an encounter. And so that's a really interesting thing too. Um, and then if you want to go one step further into a little more official format, D&D Beyond currently has an encounter builder in alpha. And as of right now, and this may not be the case once this recording hits, you have to be a subscriber to use it. But it is going into public beta soon if it's not already currently. And then everyone will be able to access it. And this gives you access to all the standard monsters and then any monsters that you have bought the content for and allows you to create encounters and then save them and then pull them up so I can create... Let's say I have a session coming up. I know I'm planning on potentially three different encounters. So I make them. I can kind of see what that difficulty might be. I can adjust them a little bit and then save them and then easily go click, pull them up. There they are. All the monsters are there. I can click on them, see all the stats, and it just is super easy to do. Yeah, I really recommend. I mean, as a subscriber, I really recommend using it. It is fantastic to use. I've, I've been able to, I mean, calculate out some different things that way, as well as, you know, find monsters, kind of see what can gel together pretty well, um, edit the party, stuff like that. It, I really like it. I haven't dug in nearly as deep as I can go, but uh, just for like a base, hey, this is what I have compared to what my party is, and then pulling up the information during the encounter so that I can easily swap back and forth between monsters works out really well. Yeah, it's it's super super handy, and I've I've started using it a lot. And this is just their first phase of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're eventually going to be adding in an actual running the encounter portion of this, where you'll be able to, if you have your campaign on D and D Beyond, say, you'll be able to pull in your party, and you'll be able to then track hit points of monsters, track initiative, see what they're doing in real time as the players update their stuff. Really, really cool. Uh, stuff coming. Oh yeah. It's going to be fantastic. And I mean, just the stuff that they've done with their uh, uh, character sheets and stuff, just the the updates and everything and, and accessibility that they've gone through there. I'm really excited to see what's going to be happening with the, the whole encounter builder. Yep. Totally agree. Um, so before we go, let's talk a little bit about what we've got upcoming in D&D. And I know through Twitter, <laughs> there's some really interesting stuff. So Ben, why don't you go first? Okay. So we had an absolutely fantastic session, uh, not last Saturday, but the one before. It's uh, something where, okay, the group's together, we're, we're figuring something out and everything, and we're, we're keeping watch. This is after, uh, I think I talked about Lord Colville was, was saved. You know, there's one doppelganger still out there and everything. And so there was a, a fight in the party. And it, it wasn't uh, like a big fight. You know, there wasn't PvP or anything like that. It was an RP fight. It was an, a, a total RP thing to the point where um, one of the characters left the rest of the party, left the, the safety of the manor and just walked out. And like we were going through everything. He ended up at the inn where they basically, you know, started the, the whole campaign and stuff. He was talking to uh, someone there eventually. And he even said to him, it's like, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to be with this party anymore. This is, you know, I, I don't get it. And 
I mean, just the sincerity and everything that, that, that he went through, it was a fantastic RP session. And then we took our break just instantaneously right there after he's like, I don't even know if I want to be with the party and everything. And I'm, I walk away. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so great and stuff. And all of a sudden I, we get a text of, is he leaving? Does he not want to play with us anymore? And I'm just like, Oh, that was really good. RP. Real convincing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we get back from break and uh, I, you know, I, I just start off with, Hey guys, just as a, as a heads up, we RP a lot. That's what we're doing. Everybody's still friends here. Everybody's great. And, and, uh, you know, I saw a lot of like relieved faces and, and everything. And it was like, it was one of the best sessions we ever had. Like the first hour and a half, two hours or something, which is pure RP of everything going on of, of what happened and stuff. And I'm just sitting back, just watching the whole time. And like, it, it got to the point where, uh, one of the characters like wrote a letter to the other character and gave it to him, um, you know, saying how she felt about the situation and how they basically reluctantly took him with them to finish up what they thought was what was going on and like had to convince him to come and basically save the city. And I mean, it, it played out really well. Then they got into their next fight. And the, for the very first time, a big villain got away. So as they're finishing things off, there's a villain. Don't know what's going on. And this is where it's really important to know what your spells are, what your kid is and everything like that. Because um, the, the villain cast greater invisibility on herself, took off. Two rounds later, the bard remembered, oh, I have C invisible and cast it. And by that time, the, the lady was out of the room and they don't know where she is now. Yep. And playing again on Saturday. And oh my god! So excited! <laughs> like, oh I my god! We should get in there and play because crap's getting real. And what a great example of encounter design, right there. Villain <laughs> escaping, and and this it, it's it's a good player reminder. Know your stuff because the DM's not going to know it for you, and the DM sure as heck isn't going to remind you. Hey. Karen, oh, yeah. you have sea invisibility. Well, and the best part is too, is that I was planning on like, you know, she's a very pompous drow. What do you expect? She's going to stand there and fight. And she was going to, you know, completely wipe them out if she was able to. And then the first hits that she took, she's like, Oh, I'm getting out of Dodge. Cause it hit like he rolled really well. And so I'm like, great. We're leaving. Cause I have a task that needs to be done. So that's right. It, it was great. It, it turned out so different than I planned. And I actually had that encounter set up really well where I had a lot of other distractions and everything to stop them from chasing after as well. And it just worked out. And I love my group so much because they don't metagame at the point where it's like, okay, well my character was outside. So he had no idea that, you know, she did that and ran out. Because, I mean, the, our, our uh, cleric can cast fairy fire. If he has a good idea on where to go, just toss that out there. But he was outside, and he knew that he was outside, so he didn't see it. And just That's it, great. That's I mean, great. We've been playing for a little over a year now, doing about maybe once a month, uh, sometimes twice a month. And, like, we're gelling really well. We're getting along really well. Everybody, it's, like, it's the, the play style that I enjoy that works well with me. And I just I want to gush about my group because they're just awesome. Yeah. And holy crap, we have so much fun. 
Yeah. And you get to play again. And that's, that's one of the things too. Don't be afraid, especially if you have a good group and a good DM, you can make it. If you have all have crazy schedules, you can make games work on once a month. Mm -hmm. Now that once a month, you may need to play like four to six hours to really make it worth it to actually get some stuff done. Mm -hmm. But it totally is possible. The game IDM, we do once a month, sometimes every month and month and a half, depending on crazy summer schedules. Like we're meeting and this is, this is exciting for me because this has been my like little bubble of D and D. We finished <laughs> up our first season of plus five to hit yes. on Monday, which was super fun. It was an amazing session. Uh, I'm playing in my, my buddy's game uh, on Sunday and we do his once a month. And then I'm, get to do my game for the first time in almost two months, just because people have been so busy next Friday. Nice. Uh, so I'm, it's just uh, so much, so much fun. Um, our, my player game, we are in front of this keep and it's kind of our first major. Oh, I don't even know that major, but we're, <laughs> we're level, we're level two, but it's our first major quest and there's this weird evil guy in this keep. There's some dudes. There was this incredible encounter where the bard charmed person on the guard and then the druid shapeshifted into a panther and one shot him. Oh. And it was just, it was just so, oh, like the whole situation was just so, happened so beautifully. And then the second guard came out after we had dragged the first one's body away <laughs> and he tried to charm person again to try and do the exact same thing, but it failed. And so, and then we ended up in a fight with a, a awakened tree and it didn't go as well. And so we're kind of there right now. Who knows what's going to happen? Hopefully, uh, by the end of this next session, we will own a, a abandoned creepy old keep. Nice. Who knows? Maybe we'll see. We like to, we like to take things. <laughs> Apparently it's just, it's just a thing. Well, Hey, if you need uh, a home, there's a keep right there. You just, exactly. Out, that's all. You gotta, you just gotta make a home. Yeah. You, you know, home is where the heart is. Yeah. Uh, so you just gotta, you just gotta do your thing. And then my game, I'm, oh, I'm so excited. We're finishing up my my little pocket dimension wardrobe. They've got one more one more encounter uh, and one or two more little secrets that potentially they could find in there. And then it's going to probably be a lot of a, a a portion of it'll be kind of what is called the shopping episode, where they're going to go spend some of their money they've gotten in the last few jobs. They want to visit this uh, arcane academy in the, the capital city, cool. which should be really interesting because one of the characters that has recently joined them was kicked out of that. So that should make for some really interesting RP moments. And they're planning on doing one of the quests from my notice board, which was this uh, innkeeper basically saying, hey, a warlock summoned something in my basement. I need <laughs> right. someone to clear it out. And so my original thought, and I can say this now because this episode is going to air after the fact. Uh, the, my original thought was, okay, it's like, it's going to be like a wraith. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some specters down there. The more I thought about it, the more I was just like, that's boring. <laughs> that's just like you walk down, you have a combat encounter, you do anything. Let's, let's make this kind of interesting. So in my, my party are level six right now. 
Um, so I'm going to throw an elder obelisk obelisk down there. Uh, they're going to walk down the steps. There's going to be a rune on the steps if they notice it. And that rune is going to be what's basically containing this thing that the warlock summoned. So the story is, is going to be warlock summoned this thing. It ended up being too powerful. It kills the warlock out of spite. Mm-hmm. Um, guards came down and obelixes have charm person. So I haven't decided if I want the guards to have like attack the thing and it kills them and kind of absorbs them or if it just charms them. Mm-hmm. But essentially what's, what it's doing is it's kind of stuck waiting down there for people because it can't cross this rune. And so they're going to go in and it's going to, they're going to turn the corner and there's going to be this magical darkness that's kind of obscuring the back of this basement. But there's going to be this table set up and this, the warlock who's dead, who's actually going to be the obelix and these two guards who are dead and are going to be the obelix and they'll have to see if they can spot the cords running back into the, the magical darkness are going to be just chilling at this table, talking and eating. And the first thing that's going to happen is the obelix is going to try and charm them when they, when they walk in. And so that, that should be a really interesting thing because chances are one or two of them will fail and one or two of them will succeed. And so there'll be a really interesting dichotomy, but my whole idea is this obelix, this particular one is not so bad. (laughs) <laughs> all he wants to all he wants to do he's he's absorbed the warlock and the guards he's been listening to all the stuff he just wants to run it in i think that's so fantastic that's, that's all he wants to do and so it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of convince them to let him out by destroying that rune that is keeping him in or if it does end up turning into combat and i love it because it could and in one of several ways, and I don't know what it's going to be. I have kind of an idea of what my goal is for that encounter. Who knows? So many things could (laughs) have, he could charm all of them. And And then it's just over. (laughs) Then it's just over. And then he gets to, it's an obelisk that gets to run it in. And they're just lucky because they found the one nice obelisk. Yeah. Of course, none of them. Yeah, <laughs> none of them could. Succeed. If all of them get charmed, what's he going to do with them at that point? Besides, just get rid of the rune. Yeah, maybe they'll maybe they'll help him. Yeah. Maybe they'll help him establish <laughs> the inn. <laughs> maybe he'll have them pay for the inn. Ooh, all sorts of really interesting things. Or they could all succeed on their saving throws, mm-hmm. and then instantly be distrustful because this monster is just like trying to make friends the only way it knows how. And now all of a sudden they're immediately suspicious and it could turn into combat. Yeah. I don't know. Did, did you ever see the uh, second Lego movie? I haven't yet. Oh, dang it. Okay. Never mind then. It's okay. Sorry, Ben. I just ruined your analogy. It's okay. It was a perfect, uh, perfect. Well, that's okay. You know, as, as consolation, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us before we end the episode? It's so not a good consolation prize, but it's what we got. So if you want to email us and tell us about your crazy awesome, hey, I, uh, I ended the combat way early, 
or you're a DM who's got a, a, a great encounter plan that you're just excited to, to share with everybody, you can send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Just let us know what's going on. We love to read anything you send, as well as talk shop with you on Twitter at dndiscussions. That's right. That's a D followed by an N and discussions. Well, not and discuss. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I realize that's not the way to do it. It's only episode four. We're still working on it. Exactly. Um, but if you are looking for more of our episodes, if you like this one so much and you want to hear episodes one and two, you can always check them out on dndiscussions.com as well as on Google and iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it now. Who knows? Uh, but Ryan, if people are looking for you specifically, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord, where I would love to talk anything D&D with you. And if you're looking for me, I am also on Twitter at Ben Bumhofer. I might not respond right away, but I enjoy talking Dungeons and Dragons. And if you would like to hear about a specific topic or hear us talk about a specific topic, hit us up in our email, hit us up on Twitter, and uh, we'll put it on the docket because we've got a big docket, mm-hmm. but we love to throw a topic up the priority list if it's it's something people want to hear about. Exactly. And if we can coincidentally tie it into another topic that matches in some way, we will totally do that as well. On purpose. Coincidentally. <laughs> I don't know how you do both, but whatever. Uh, but until next time... I have been Ben. Ryan, thank you for chatting fun with me. That's whatever. (laughs) It's it's one of those things just like, how do we end a show? It's like I after hundreds of podcast episodes, it's always ending the show is always awkward. Yeah. So we'll just end it. That's right. We'll just end it. Thanks, guys. You've been awesome. Look forward to talking more Dungeons and Dragons with you next time. Be good to each other. Bye-bye.